Well, what or who are you most loyal to? Maybe you're loyal to your spouse, your family, your friends. Maybe you're loyal to your country, the city, your community. Maybe you're loyal to a a club or some sort of society. Maybe you're loyal to a hobby, golfing, hunting, quilting, music. Maybe you're loyal to a, a tradition or to a sport or sports team. Maybe you're loyal to a political party or ideology. Maybe you're loyal to a cause or movement, to an organization, your company, or, or your job. Maybe you're loyal to a brand. What or who are you most loyal to? Now, whether you consider yourself a loyal person or not, we all have an understanding or an idea of what it is to be loyal, right? We find this out when we're faced, when we have to you know, choose a side between the ducks or the beavers. We find this out when a public figure doesn't stand, but kneels for the national anthem. We find this out when we find out that a person has has committed suicide or has committed adultery. We find this out when there is injustice done, when one party rises up in loyal defense. We find this out when change comes into our lives. And we find ourselves fighting to be loyal to the status quo or things of the past. I can pretty much guarantee that everyone in this room is loyal, deeply loyal to something or someone. And if you want to know what you're most loyal to, just look at your calendar, your bank account, your mental space, your life, what you spend the most time thinking about and doing. You are most likely most loyal to those things. And the Bible has something to say about that. And this morning, we are going to have our loyalty and loyalties challenged as we open God's Word together. So with that, please turn with me in your Bible to the Gospel according to John. The Gospel according to John. John is the fourth book of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one in the pew near you. Uh, You can find John on page 886. 886. If you do not own a Bible, we'd love to give one to you. You can take that pew Bible home with you today. If you do not own a Bible. And you'll be helped to keep your Bible open to this passage this morning. And we're going to be living in John 1, verses 35 to 51. John 1, 35 to 51. So please follow along as I read.
The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that night, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's word to and for the church. Thanks be to God. Can we say that together? Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray once again. Father, we do thank you for your good and profitable word, and we ask, Spirit, that you would uh, open us up to your word, open your word up to us. We ask that we would not just be informed by your word, but, but transformed by it this morning. And Lord, we ask that we would behold your glory in the face of Jesus this morning. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, thus far in the book of John, we have been confronted. We've come face to face with the truth that Jesus is God. And that there is no other. That He is the Word made flesh. That He is God on earth. Last week, we looked at the ministry of a man called John the Baptist in verses 19 through 34. And he was a messenger of Jesus particularly the life and light of Jesus. And his central message was, Behold Jesus, the Lamb of God, the fulfillment of this sacrificial system of old, the one who has come to rescue us from sin and from death and from darkness. And starting with John the Baptist's proclamation of this news and his ministry of preparation about Jesus, like the dawning of a new day, the light of Jesus was spreading. 
And by pure grace, more and more people began to follow Jesus and find true life and light in Him. And we read of this in our passage this morning. In John 1, verses 35 to 51. And with that, here's the big idea and outline for our time together. Here it is. This is something for you to write down in your notes. Here it is. Disciples of Jesus... Follow him and invite others to come and see. Disciples of Jesus, follow him and invite others to come and see. It's the main point of this text. And the, this point is unfolds, it kind of unfolds in our passage as we read of the call to meet Jesus in verses 35 to 42, the call to follow Jesus in verse 43. And then the call to come and see Jesus in verses 44 to 51. That's our outline together. And the reason I give a main point and outline every week is so that you can, you can take this like a, like a suitcase. Take this text into your week and apply it. So let's do that together now. Let's look at that main point and outline. Point one, the call to meet Jesus. Well, the first words there in verse 35 tell us that it's the next day. It's a new day, and John the Baptist is back at it in the wilderness, and he's standing with two of his disciples. Now, as we just read, one of those disciples is a man named Andrew, but the other disciple is unnamed, and I believe that that unnamed disciple is John, the author of the gospel. Throughout the the book, as we will see, John has a a habit of kind of including himself through humble obscurity. I believe that's happening here. And in verse 36, we read that John the Baptist is standing with these two, Andrew and, and John the author. And John the Baptist sees Jesus once again and declares, he declares boldly the same thing he did in the verses before, and that is that Behold, the Lamb of God. And we read that these two disciples of John the Baptist's hear this message, and they follow Jesus. John the Baptist was a witness to the light, the true light, who was Jesus. And now his disciples are following Jesus, the true light. And notice verse 38, that Jesus sees them. Sometimes I think we read our Bibles a little too fast to kind of catch these important details. Brothers and sisters, Jesus, the one who is God, the one who is the Word made flesh, the light and and life, the Son of God, the one who baptizes with the Spirit, this Jesus of greatness and glory beyond compare, sees them. Do you ever wonder if God sees you? If He even cares? If He sees your life, your joys, your struggles, your fears, your anxieties, your marital or familial problems, your anger, your confusion? Do you ever wonder if, if God sees any of that? He does. 
And this is proof right here. Here, Jesus sees his new followers. He, he turns toward them. I love that description. He postures toward them. He looks at them. And then what does he, what does he do? He speaks to them. Sometimes we move too quickly, again, to catch these things. But here we see the shepherding heart of Jesus on full display. The Jesus who pursues those and sees those who follow him. And he asks them in verse 38, look there with me, what are you seeking? See, the Jews were seeking their Messiah, right? Seeking Messiah. And like we see in one of the other gospel accounts, in Luke, particularly chapter 24, we see that many were expecting something more than what Jesus was apparently. They expected a warrior redeemer, one who would come and overcome their enemies with, with sword and might. There were many who were looking for something, someone with charisma, a wonder-working, genie-like person, someone who would resolve all of their problems. But these misunderstood Jesus, his mission, and his purpose. And so, getting at the heart and expectations of his followers here in this text, he asks, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? And Jesus is asking you the same this morning. What are you seeking in him? Maybe you have followed Jesus for a long time. Maybe you have followed him for a short time. Maybe you are kind of on the fence about him. But what are you seeking in Jesus today? What are your expectations of him? Are you seeking Jesus for what he can do for you or because of who he is? It's so easy, brothers and sisters, to treat Jesus like a rabbit's foot. Um, like, uh, like a genie, or a charm, or a therapeutic coping mechanism to resolve all your problems. Like a means to live your best life now, financially or materially. And because of this, we might want to put Jesus into a superstitious formula and begin to think things and say things like, well, if I seek Jesus, then I'm going to prosper in this area of my life. Or I'm going to receive this blessing, or this, or that more financial stability or relational security, a better marriage, maybe even a spouse, or better grades, or, or better health. And yes, maybe some of those things will be given to you by God's grace. Praise God. But what happens if you're a Christian and they don't happen? So easy to seek Jesus, not for Him, but for some sort of other health and wealth benefit. And church, this, this sort of theology and thinking is called the prosperity gospel. And it's explicitly and implicitly held by many so-called churches, internationally, nationally, in our own county and city. And the prosperity gospel is unbiblical, it's soul-rotting, and it should break our hearts. It should break the heart of every Christian in this room. 
It's so easy to seek Jesus for some sort of material benefit and not simply for the sake of who he is. And make no mistake, there are amazing spiritual blessings and gifts of grace in Christ. When you repent and believe in him, when you follow him, when you, when you meet him, there's salvation and there's, there's life and light and hope and spiritual family. I pray that you're seeking Jesus for those things today. But I ask you again, what are you seeking in Jesus today? In response to this question, the disciples say in verse 38, Rabbi, and John explains the term for his non-Jewish readers, which means teacher. They ask, where are you staying? (laughs) These followers wanted to see more of Jesus, hear more of him, learn more about him. They wanted to be with him, to be near him. And Jesus responds and says, come and you will see. Here, Jesus invites them to truly meet him. What is the result of that meeting? Well, verse 40. Look there with me. Verse 40. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. This is the result. One of the disciples, a man named Andrew, again, a man we don't really know much about because he is often eclipsed by his brother, who we're about to meet. Andrew goes and finds his brother, Simon. And he says to him, verse 41, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. We found him. He's here. This is amazing. In verse 42, we read that Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Now, we don't know a ton about Andrew, but something that we see over and over again in, in, the, in the gospel accounts is that he is constantly bringing people to Jesus. This is happening here. And Jesus looks at Andrew's brother, Peter, and says, you are Simon, the son of John, not John the author, not John the Baptist, a bit of a different John, just to clarify. And he says, you shall be called Cephas, which means rock. Here, Jesus calls Peter to be his disciple, and he gives him a different name. He gives him the name Peter, rock. And though John doesn't unpack all of this here, that name would become extremely significant in the life of of Peter and in all of Scripture. We see the significance of this name come into full blossom in Matthew 16, where Peter confesses that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and, and Jesus himself says that upon the confession that Peter has made, he is going to build his church. We get insight into this in Peter's intimate relationship with Jesus right here in John 1. Well, in these verses, as we've seen, Jesus has called his first disciples to to meet him intimately. And the call to meet him is always paired with a call to follow him. Not just meet him, but follow him. And that leads us to point two, the call to follow Jesus. Look with me at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. It's another new day, and Jesus decides to go to Galilee, which is a pivotal place in Jesus' ministry, and we're going to find that out in the rest of the series. But there he finds another man named Philip, and Jesus says to Philip, follow me. 
He calls Philip to a tangible, real relationship with him, to be with him and near him, close to the other disciples alongside him. And we must notice that just as Jesus initiated his relationship with the disciples above, here he initiates once again. Just as in the previous section, Jesus is the one who sees his disciples, who questions his disciples, who invites them to meet him, to drink with him, to to eat with him, to converse with him. And this is the biblical pattern that we see in all of Scripture. It's this, that a relationship with Jesus starts with Jesus. The irresistible and sovereign call of Jesus precedes a relationship with him. He must act first. And if you are a Christian here today, this means that Jesus initiated towards you. Can we just stop and let that rest for a minute? Jesus has initiated towards you. He has called you out of darkness into light, out of death into life. To be with him, to seek him, to follow him, to be loyal to him to know him. You are not like those mentioned in the previous verses. For instance, back in chapter 1, verse 10. Those who did not know him. But in contrast, Jesus has made himself known to you. And you have the privilege to follow him. Brothers and sisters, this is my third week. My third week preaching in this pulpit as your lead pastor. And my primary task as your pastor is to week after week proclaim the gospel from all of Scripture to you and to encourage you to keep following Jesus, who is the center of that gospel. That is my primary task. To encourage you to take your eyes off the world, off the things of this world, and to set them, to fix them upon Christ. To fix your eyes on the truth of the gospel. That clear and beautiful truth that is captured in four words. God, man, Christ response. The gospel truth that that God created, right? We start with God. That God created the world, and it was good. He created man, men and women, and he placed them in the world, but they rebelled against him. And sin and death and darkness entered the world. But God sent his only son. See that? God, man, Christ. Sent his only son in love and grace and mercy to save imperfect people, imperfect sinners through his perfect life. And he did this through going to a cross and dying, and then three days later resurrecting, guaranteeing salvation for those who repent and believe in him. This is the gospel. There's only one response to this message, one response, and that is ongoing repentance, turning away from sin and turning toward Christ and following Him in faith day by day, just as we see here in Jesus' first disciples. When Jesus says, follow me, this is what He means. 
And part of that also means that you go public with your faith by being baptized. It means that you become a member of a local church where you're encouraged to keep following Jesus through regularly reading His Word and gathering together to hear His Word, to sing His Word, to pray His Word, to see His Word in the Lord's Supper. All of this gospel message, all of this, and and the response, which is an ongoing reality, all of this is centered around the finished work of Jesus. All of it. And if you're here today and you do not know Jesus, if you don't know this Christ, I'll be standing at the back after the service, and I would love to talk with you more about what it would look like to follow him. But if you are a Christian here today, if you are a Christian here this morning, even more specifically, if you are a member here at HFBC, Oh, it's so easy, even in the ministries of the church, for us to take our eyes off of Jesus, his word, and the gospel, and to place them upon other things, and then to find unity, right, in those other things. It's so easy for us to do this as the church. And this leads to a confused mission. It, it, it leads to a false sense of unity. And it leads to a diminished lampstand. Brothers and sisters, the mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel that I just just shared with you. To proclaim Jesus. That is the mission of the church. It is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to call a lost and dying world to Jesus. To follow him. This is the mission of the church. This is the mission of HFBC to proclaim the gospel, to be disciples here, and then to make disciples. Because we can't make disciples until we know what it is to be a disciple. Disciples who are committed to the centrality of God's word in the church. Who are committed to the power of the gospel to save in the church. Who are committed to Jesus vertically and to other Christians, other members horizontally in the life of the church. Disciples who are committed to deep spiritual care and cohesion that flows out of God's word and gospel and meaningful church membership. We must be set on holding fast to these four commitments. For this is what it is to follow Jesus personally, but also collectively, corporately. This is our vision. This is the vision of HFBC right there. Further, we are, we are heading into a political season. Not sure if you're aware of that. We're heading into a political season. And we're going to be tempted. Everyone in this room will be tempted to take our eyes off of Jesus and to put them on the news, <clears throat> on a party, on a specific politician, a man or woman, to follow something or someone that promises much, but will severely underdeliver. And so we must remain set on following, remaining loyal to Jesus alone, finding, finding our unity in Him alone, no matter our leanings or our opinions or our perspectives. 
May we be committed to following Jesus, first and foremost, loyally, personally and corporately, for our joy and the glory of Jesus. And may we invite others to come and see. That leads us to point three, the call to come and see Jesus. Look with me at verses 44 to 51. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Well, thus far in the passage, we have, we have seen the call to meet Jesus, the call to follow Jesus, and we read here of Jesus' disciples calling others, inviting others to come and see him. And this has been the pattern that we've seen in this passage. I'm not sure if you've noticed that. We have seen Jesus call a disciple, and then what does that disciple do? He goes and calls others to come and see Jesus. This has been the pattern that we've seen in this passage. We read of this in verses 44 through 45, particularly. After Philip becomes a disciple of Jesus, he goes and finds who? Nathaniel. He goes and finds a friend. He says to him, verse 45, We have found him, the one whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, there is so much theological richness in this one verse, but again, I only have so much time. Even though I got an extra hour. No. <clears throat> we could spend weeks unpacking like weeks unpacking just this one verse. Uh, but here's the long and the short of it. Here it is. This is what Philip is saying here. He is saying that we have found the one in whom the Scriptures are fulfilled. Brothers and sisters, Philip can declare this because the Old Testament points to, culminates in, and is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the key that unlocks all of Scripture. He is the sum and summary of all of Scripture. He is the fulfillment of all God's promises, past, present, and future. Those that have been inaugurated and those that have yet to be consummated. Every passage in all of Scripture has a path to Him. Every passage. And we're going to see more of that in a moment at the close of this section. And so by recording this, John, the author here, is teaching us how to read our Bibles with the right lens, with Jesus at the center. That's what he's doing. And how does Nathaniel respond to this, to all of this? He, he, 
He says, oh, what? He kind of asks a bit of a sarcastic question, right? He's like, uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come from him, come from there? I grew up in the city of Bakersfield, which is like an hour and a half north of Los Angeles. So this would be, this would be like someone from L.A. saying, can anything good come out of Bakersfield? And in spite of Nathaniel's doubts, in spite of them, Philip extends a call, an invitation. What what does he invite people to? What does he invite him to? Come and see. Notice the pattern. Jesus told the disciples earlier to come and see in verse 39. And now the disciples are saying, come and see. First it was Andrew to his brother, and now it's Philip to Nathaniel. And what is Nathaniel to come and see? What is that? It's simple. It's Jesus. Simple. Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. And here we are instructed in the work of evangelism. The disciples who had met Jesus and were following Jesus wanted others to come and see Jesus. And I believe this has much application to how we evangelize today. So maybe you're here this morning and you believe that evangelism is really the pastor's job. Evangelism is really the ministry's job in the church that does outreach. It's really someone else with the gift of evangelism's job, a a Christian TV program's job, a radio program's job, an online ministry's job. Got the internet for that. But if you are a Christian here today, you got to hear this. Evangelism is your job. And it's our job. So let's look at how this passage impacts how you personally and we corporately engage in the work of evangelism. First, we invite others to come and see Jesus in our own lives. We invite others to come and see Jesus in our own lives. If you're a Christian, if you are a disciple of Jesus, then your life is a living testimony of faith in Jesus. You are not your own. Your words and actions reflect Him and your relationship with Him, whether you're at home or you're driving down the road or you're in a restaurant or you're at work or at school, at church interacting with another member or regular attender, wherever you are, your life displays your relationship with Jesus. Now, I understand that this is hard. This is hard. It's hard to to let people... Uh, really get to know you, your, your joys, your struggles, your fears, your, your faith, what's important to you. It's hard to open up about, about failures. It's hard to open up about these things and how Jesus is changing us and redeeming us day by day. That, that's hard. That's hard work. Particularly with family. Particularly with family. Those who have seen the good and the bad and the ugly of us, Right? And yet we are to invite our family, just as Andrew did to his brother Peter in these verses above, to come and see Jesus. But it's not just family, it's also friends and neighbors and coworkers and your own children. Part of your discipleship with Jesus is to invite those around you to come and see Jesus in your life and what it looks like to follow him. And if you are a Christian, you are also called to invite other Christians to help you follow Jesus. 
and for you to help them follow Jesus. You are invited to not just call non-Christians, but, but Christians to come and see Jesus in your own life. See, just as Jesus calls you to a relationship with him, we are called to be relationship, in relationship with others in the body. That's called discipleship. Those in the local church to, to walk. We are called to walk with others in the local church, to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens, to love, care, and pursue one another, to do spiritual good to one another over coffee or, or tea or a meal or a, or a hobby. So brother, sister, when was the last time you invited someone, like a family member or a friend, someone who's a Christian or, or isn't a Christian, to come and see Jesus in your life? When was the last time you did that? I know it's hard, but it's so worth it. And if you can't answer that question, then I would ask this morning, why? Why haven't I done that? taking this to the pavement of our lives, let me encourage you to write two names down right now in your notes. Two names. One inside the church, one outside the church, who you can invite to come and see Jesus in your life this week. Second, we invite others to come and see Jesus in our own life together as a church. We invite others to come and see Jesus in our own life as a church. We're invited, we invite others to come and see Jesus when we gather together for worship. Have you considered that? We're doing the work of evangelism right now by gathering in this building as the church. And we are encouraged here in this passage to invite others to come and see Jesus at work, the Spirit at word and work. In, in this body, here in this building. Here we are invited to invite others to come and see Jesus. Now, I believe that we can invite our community to come and see Jesus through something like trunk or treat that we just did, or through a Thanksgiving meal, or, or through an Easter breakfast. Yes, those are, all, those are all good things. But when Jesus prays for his church to be one as he is one, when, when Jesus calls others to come and see and encourages us to encourage others and invite others to come and see, he isn't talking about a one-and-done event. He's talking about this right here, this gathering of the saints. So invite those around you to come and see our corporate worship, corporate meaning public, corporate worship, to come and see Jesus, to take those two names that you wrote down earlier and invite them to come. If they live in the area, invite them to come to this church, to come and see an imperfect group of disciples who are often weak and poor and needy, who are at different ages and stages of life, but who are pursuing unity in the gospel together with one another and seeking to be loyal to Christ alone. Invite others to come and see this corporate worship gathering on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Invite others to come and see Jesus in our life together. Well, this section and chapter closes 
in verses 47 to 51 with some of the most glorious truths about Jesus that we're going to ever encounter, as if we haven't already in this chapter. <laughs> Just keeps getting better and better and better and better. In verses 47 to 50, we come to see that Jesus sees and knows his disciples intimately. This is captured when uh, Jesus sees Nathanael, who, calls, who he calls an Israelite, in whom there is no deceit, and who he sees under the fig tree in these verses. And notice that Nathanael is pretty floored by this, right? First, because he's a sinner like you and I. Let's get that out in the, out in the open. He's a sinner like you and I. But he's also probably wondering, Jesus, have you been smiling at me? You saw me under the fig tree? And so he asks, verse 48, how do you know me? Now, there's a lot of ink that's been spilt on this verse, like a lot, and on this question. Uh, I parsed through some of it this week. There are a whole bunch of different conclusions on this verse. But here is what we know. Here's, here's kind of the overarching message being conveyed here. Here it is, right here. Jesus meticulously, sovereignly, intimately knows the hearts and lives of his people. That's it. He is not cold and distant, but he's close to his children. He's imminent with his children. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus sees you, that he, he knows all, every meticul meticulously every situation in your life, that he's not abandoned you nor forsaken you, but he is near you? That he's near to you if you are his disciple. Do you believe that? Well, in response to the sovereign wisdom and knowledge of Jesus, Nathaniel proclaims in contrast to those who don't recognize Jesus as God, again, and Messiah in the first 34 verses, he proclaims, Rabbi, teacher, oh, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He sees Jesus clearly as God incarnate, as Lord and King of his people. He sees Jesus for who he truly is. And he begins to follow him because of who he truly is. And I love how Jesus responds. Look with me, verse 50. You believe in me because I saw you under the fig tree? Oh, you, which is plural, by the way. That, that you is plural, meaning all the disciples. You ain't seen nothing yet. And then Jesus says, verse 51, truly, truly, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is amazing. Are you with me here? All right, this is amazing. What is Jesus saying here? What is the meaning of this verse? Well, Jesus is quoting from Genesis chapter 28, those, those verses that we read earlier at the beginning of our service together, and that call to worship. You don't have to turn there. Take some time this week to read Genesis 28 in light of John 1. Here, Jesus is quoting Genesis 28, and it's in those verses that in part capture God's covenant with Jacob, who is also called what? Israel. In that passage, in Genesis 28, we read of Jacob's ladder and the dream he had where God promises to him and through him, through Jacob, who is called Israel, that all of the nations will be blessed. 
And Jacob was astounded by this, and he ends the whole, the whole section with, this is an awesome place, this is awesome. And here in John chapter 1, verse 51, Jesus is saying that that has all been fulfilled. All of it. Here he is saying that those verses, that the, the covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all pointed to him. He is saying that he is the new Jacob, the new Israel, that he is the fulfillment of that covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he is Jacob's ladder, that he is the stairway to heaven. Jesus is saying that he is the stairway to heaven. He is the ladder spoken of. He quotes it directly. Do you see that? Well, check this out. All who, like Nathaniel, who meet Jesus, follow Jesus, and come to repentance and faith in Jesus, all disciples of Jesus will, through Jesus, ascend that stairway in salvation and eternal life with Jesus forever. Amen? Amen. That's amazing. This is what Jesus is saying here. John wants us to know this, believe this, to come and see this Jesus for who he truly is, the one in whom we will see the greatest things. Well, we should close. In our text this morning, we looked at how the disciples of Jesus are called to meet him, to follow him, to invite others, to come and see him. And that call is a call to loyalty to Jesus over and above all loyalties. So what or who are you most loyal to today? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We ask that you would show us more of him through your word and through your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would make us more like him. We ask that you would empower us, Spirit, to invite others to come and see him in our lives and in our life together as a church. Lord, we thank you for giving us a glimpse into your glory this morning through Jesus. And we ask that we would be changed and transformed by it. For our joy and your glory. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.